It is 11.30 on this Wednesday, which means it's time for Midday on the 12th day of May. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Thanks for choosing the rural voice of Nebraska on this partly cloudy day. We'll hear more about the weather, of course, in about 15 minutes with Paul Perkins. He'll let us know what Mother Nature has in store for us the rest of the afternoon. Also, we'll hear from Jason Jorgensen and sports, of course, previewing state soccer uh, day two today, actually, and then that'll continue tomorrow as well. Bob Rogan will tell us why stocks not doing so well coming up in a few minutes as well. But let's get caught up with Susan Littlefield and uh, Susan, who's on the eastern side of the state. Looks like temperatures are warming up uh, around 60 in your neck of the woods. Yeah, and it's a little cloudy. It's it's good because we are getting ready for state soccer at mm-hmm. my son's high school for both boys and girls. Okay, all right. So, so we're pretty pumped. Soccer is the, the talk of the day, then, it seems like. It is the talk of the day, right. but not the talk of ag. <laughs> what do you have coming up for us? <laughs> well, we're going to kick it all off uh, with Dan Phelps. Dan is with Channel as we talk about the planting decisions you're making at this moment, whether you're sitting in the tractor or getting ready to go back out in the field what those effects are going to be, and what it says about your field as we go through the growing season. Mm -hmm. Then Alex will come in here at 1245 as we continue with our cruising with renewable fuels. She'll be talking with the National Biodiesel Board about some policy efforts that are happening with biodiesel in Washington, D.C. And then I'll wrap up everything back at 117 with Brenda Oftenkamp. She is with UNL's Extension. She actually works right out of North Platte. But she talks about getting your entire family, that includes them teenagers, excited about gardening. Ah, it is that time of the year to start planning, if you haven't already. Well, yeah, and if you haven't already, you're probably the smart one for as cold as, cold as it's been. <laughs> Very true, which I'm glad we have not put our tomatoes in quite yet. We'll keep them in the house for now. So There you go. All right, thank you very much, Susan. Have a good one. You too. All right. Uh, on that subject, okay, we've had to shuffle plants. I shouldn't say we. My wife has been shuffling the plants in and out the mm-hmm. last week in our house, and I'm like, can we just get together and say let's not get anything until after the May? Yeah. F- and she goes, no, if we wait, then they'll all be gone. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, also believe I had that same conversation <laughs> with my father-in-law. They are retired now. This is their first, second year of being retired. Uh, this past weekend, we're being home, and he said. All I've been doing every morning and every night is bring stuff out to the greenhouse, back inside, back and forth, or just outside to get some fresh air. So he feels your pain. Early May in the Midwest. But apparently if you wait, then you won't get what you want. Correct. Where I'm waiting. I'm waiting. So <laughs> that's solid logic. Yeah, you know, I learned things from uh, from you guys. So, <laughs> what do you have for us in sports? Uh, Carney High uh, girls soccer team playing in Omaha in Class A quarterfinals. A tough matchup for them against Gretna with about eight minutes left in that match. Carney is down four to one. So mm. we'll keep an eye on that one. We'll also uh, preview the Lexington Minutemen. They will start playing uh, tomorrow. Uh, the North Platte girls will be in action tonight. They've qualified mm-hmm. as uh, they will be in action against a perennial power. Omaha Marion. So we'll talk some soccer coming up in sports. Also, we'll talk about the old gunslinger, uh, Brett Favre. Hmm. He owes the state of Mississippi half a million dollars. Oh, okay. That's not a not a cheap amount. All right. Sounds good. Uh, Bob Brogan, what do you have for us? Stocks are a little bit lower. Investors are concerned about inflation, and uh, they're concerned about that uh, pipeline shutdown. And uh, Britain's foreign secretary is urging global cooperation to combat these cyber attacks cooperation between countries what a concept okay all right a lot of good information coming up 
1144 here on this Wednesday, which means it's time for Regional Ag Weather Update, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. Paul Perkins is joining us, and Paul, today, a little bit better in terms of temperatures than yesterday. Yeah, a little more sunshine helping the cause today. Uh, starting to see a little more cloud cover, though, and that will help to keep those temperatures down a little bit more than we were anticipating. A nice warm-up for this morning. A lot of us with temperatures right now in the mid to upper 50s, even some low 60s as you head towards Fremont and the Omaha area, and also towards Columbus. Some puffy clouds starting to pop up into central and eastern areas of Nebraska and Kansas. Still a little more sunshine as you head towards Ogallala down to around McCook. And something we'll keep an eye on is a chance for more rain in the central and western regions today through tonight. Yeah, we're going to see these disturbances glide in from the southeast. That'll keep alive or at least the chance for some light rain for today. Then we'll see the chances for some thunderstorms as the temperatures start to warm up for tomorrow into early next week and maybe some severe weather as the front kind of gets stalled out in the area and that will cause some instability and severe threat starting to show up it is that time of year uh <laughs> some more severe weather but obviously we'll keep you updated right here at krvn but for today temperatures again starting to see more seasonal yes uh, starting to feel a lot better especially with that added sunshine that we saw earlier today and those clouds starting to puff up and they will do so as the day goes on maybe a few sprinkles into north central areas of nebraska with these clouds toward the end of the nebraska sandhills just in the north of Rocamo and to the south of ainsworth temperatures today about 10 degrees cooler than average some south winds kicking in on the backside of high pressure sliding to the east helping in that warm-up cloud cover increasing as some clusters of light rain and some weak thunderstorms start to move in from the northwest this afternoon through tonight before they weaken temperatures return to seasonal levels for tomorrow through tuesday a nice thing that we finally get to hear in our forecast tomorrow we'll start out dry before we see more scattered thunderstorms slide in from the northwest during the afternoon through tomorrow night some of those storms could be strong to severe with some small hail and gusty winds by late tomorrow thunderstorms expected to redevelop by late friday afternoon and evening mostly along a stalled front near the kansas nebraska state line Higher moisture right near that front could lead to a slightly higher severe threat. Saturday and Sunday could be a repeat of that as the forecast models show that front remaining stalled. By Monday, most of the forecast models start to trend the thunderstorm chances and the severe threat farther to the south. For the long-term forecast, warmer than normal temperatures will continue for Nebraska, Kansas, and much of the U.S. for Monday all the way through May 25th. In a slight change to the drier side, Nebraska and Kansas rainfall Monday through May 25th likely to be near normal to slightly above normal. Soil temperatures 4 inches down at 7 this morning, as cool as the low 40s for areas along and west of a line from Norfolk to Broken Bow, North Platte, and Imperial. Soil temperatures in the rest of Nebraska northern and western Kansas in the mid to upper 40s, then from Salina and points south and east, the soil temperatures in the low 50s. Key weather factors driving market trade include varying amounts of rain predicted for the Midwest and more dry weather withering the crops in Brazil. Rain will return across parts of the plains late this week, reaching the Midwest this weekend. Some of the heaviest rain could fall from the central plains into the mid-Mississippi Valley. Little or no precipitation will occur across much of the northern U.S. In parts of the southwestern midwest rain totals exceeding two inches predicted the next seven days moderate amounts of rain expected in the southeast midwest
Midwest. The northern Midwest, though, expecting no more than light to locally moderate rain. The low normal temperatures will continue to keep the growth slow into the weekend, including a couple of frosty mornings. Midwest temperatures rising this weekend into next week, helping to accelerate the germination and early growth. Southern Plains crop areas have seen improvements in soil moisture after recent widespread rain. A couple of more systems bringing in more widespread rain this weekend through at least the middle of next week. In central Brazil, hot and dry weather continues with the dry season appearing to have started in Mato Grosso. Production estimates for Brazil's second crop corn continue to be reduced. In our listening area, how much rain are we kind of talking about, not only today, but through the next several days? Probably just some very light amounts for today, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see some half-inch to one-inch totals as we head towards the weekend with that system. Just depends on when that where that front does stall out. Mm. Uh, better chances of seeing more significant rain right along the Nebraska-Kansas border. Okay. All right. That's good to know. Uh, for a full weather forecast, where can somebody find that? Weather page, krvn.com. Oh, thank you. <laughs> With planting underway, how often do you think those initial planting decisions will affect your final crop? Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I caught up with Dan Phelps. He's a channel technical agronomist in Nebraska as we talked about your planting decisions right now will be visible all season long. So we're looking for for great field conditions, looking for that proper soil temperature, uh, making sure that our planting depth is accurate. Um, hybrid placement, absolutely crucial, especially if you're going early, making sure that we've got a hybrid out there that has that good early vigor and can handle uh, those cold stresses that could be put on it. Seed treatments are another one very, very important if you're going to go early, especially with soybeans, to make sure that we've got the proper seed treatments uh, and fungicides out there that are going to help uh, combat some of those cold conditions that it could run into or some of those early insects and diseases that could come on as a result of it. So really that uh, just assessing the field and making sure that we've got the right product on the right acre and that uh, soil conditions are, are ready to go are really the key factors that we look at and really preach to our growers. You know, I saw a picture on Twitter earlier today that had a picture um, said planted April 7th. Welcome to the party. And it was a soybean just barely pushing its way through the soil. And so I think this is a perfect example about how patience is going to be the virtue with some of these early planted crops. Yep, absolutely. Uh, We've had probably more more folks than ever going early with uh, soybeans this year. A um, lot of data to support uh, good yields that come with that and, and some benefits to it. Um, so lots of lots of risk that goes with it as well, too, if we do it happen to get one of those late season freezes. Uh, but again, you know, if we've, uh, we've done our homework, we've looked at field conditions, uh, looked at that, that weather outlook, we should be in good shape there. But, uh, yeah, definitely seen more and more of a trend of early soybeans in the area. What about some early weed insect controls that we might need to think about this year? Yep. So with the cooler temperatures, we're, we're not seeing as much of uh, the early uh, germination of weeds as what we probably normally would. Some of them would probably stay a little bit more dormant. So that's going to be in our benefit. Encourage everyone to get have a good good program with the weeds that they're, they're battling in their area. Uh, get out there with a good residual and a burn down early. And then making sure in that post-pass timing that we're we're hitting that within the, the proper uh, respray window and, and getting that second pass out there. Uh, very much encourage that. 
Let's look at corn. You know, we're looking for that 50 degrees and rising soil temperature is, is optimal. Uh, about that 50 degrees mark is right when that, that corn seedling is going to start to germinate and imbibe that water and, and take off. So we just want to make sure that we've got that soil temp up around 50 degrees and, and continuing to rise so that when it does take off and germinate, that it gives it the best uh, chance possible to get going. Um, but then that first 48 hours is the most critical uh, time for that, that seedling to develop and get going. And uh, that short window after that as well for early seedling diseases to take place. So if you look back to last year, we had a lot of areas where Fusarium crown rot, uh, the timing was, was almost perfect with the weather patterns we had um, early. And we saw that introduced early. And uh, later on, it, uh, we had a lot of issues with it. So we really want to make sure, again, those seed treatments and, and the right hybrid on the right acre uh, knowing what we battled last year, if we had some insect or disease pressure, making sure that we're placing those hybrids correctly to, to battle that if it's going to be an issue. And that's my conversation with Dan Phelps, a technical agronomist with Channel. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Jason Jorgensen is joining us once again. And it's day two of high school state soccer. And Jason, what do you have for us? Well, the Carney girls were looking to pull an upset today against Gretna. That didn't happen. Dragons won at 5-1. Still a good year for Carney. They wrap up the season at 12-6. and North Platte will play tonight. They'll take on Perennial Power Marion. That one begins at 7. For the 12th time in school history, the Lexington Minutemen, they'll be back in the state tournament tomorrow. They're the second seed in the tournament. We'll square off against seventh seed, South Sioux City. Now, these two teams met earlier this year with Lexington winning 5-1, to one, and head coach Jess McCarg breaks down the rematch. I think they've got a couple players that back that were injured early on, and uh, I'd love to believe as well that we're a different team than we were when we met them. Uh, with Junior slowly getting back into the lineup, you know, I think we're going to, we're, we're going to meet the team that is going to test us early, but also the team that's going to prove to us if we belong at the state tournament or not. Lexington's 18-1. and one. They've won 16 in a row. Interesting of note, we talked a little bit about this earlier this morning. When the preseason rankings came out, Scott was one, Lexington was two, South Sioux City was third. Now, the mm. Cardinals struggled for most of the year, but they got their act together here at the end. So you have two very talented teams uh, duking it out tomorrow morning at 10. Scott is still number one oh, overall, yeah. correct? Okay. Mm-hmm. Their right. only loss was to Southwest in a game oh. that could have gone either way. And Southwest is undefeated. Right, okay. So, All right. Uh, I don't know if there's a ton of difference, at least this year, between the top of Class A and the top of Class B. Mm. Okay, well, it's saying something. Uh, tomorrow's game, by the way, you will be broadcasting. I'll have the call on Cami Country. Pre-game at 9.50. And he's been practicing his goal <laughs> call as well. You can't, you can't just say goal. That's, that's oh, well, too play. Won't be that. All right, but I'm just saying. We... Hopefully I have a couple to call. Yeah, I mean, good. you never can assume in the game of soccer that you are going to have that's a... That's fair. So. Well, as much as these, these, these Lexington <laughs> scores eight goals last week, in goodness. So you, you'll be, you may run out of uh, breath. <laughs> I think we'll manage. All right. District track is going on across the state. Classes A and D today. A decent but cool day for that. Columbus mm-hmm. is hosting the A1. Grand Island's in charge of the A3. Class D action. Kennesaw's hosting the D6. A lot of our area schools at the D7 today with Bertrand and the D8's going on 
and Broken Bow. And authorities say uh, former NFL quarterback Brett Favre is yet to pay back $600,000 of money that he received from the state of Mississippi for multiple speaking events that he never showed up for. They did an audit a while back, and they found that the state had paid him over a million dollars. He paid a little bit of it back. Still, uh, he owes the state of Mississippi over $600,000. What do you mean he didn't show up? He didn't show up. He wasn't there. For what reason? Unclear. So this guy gets paid all his money. He doesn't even show up to speak for so, 10 uh, minutes. Might be doing a few more Wrangler commercials. <laughs> also, we'll see him out there slinging it around. You know what those... Oh, what is that? Uh, the copper. The copper copper fit. fit. Yeah. Copper fit. Yeah. yeah, throwing it yeah. around the backyard. Mm-hmm. I, I'll admit, some of those uh, Wranglers that he... he, he that he advertises. They're not bad. I'm mm-hmm. it. So, so, all right. Uh, hopefully, hopefully the old gunslinger can get this taken care of. Goodness. $500,000. All right. Sounds good. Good luck Thursday and Friday. Thanks. 12.30 now here on this Wednesday. Time to check in the latest KRVN news. And man to do the job is Dave Schroeder. <laughs> is he joining us here, here. <laughs> in the studio? Thank you for uh, chiming in. Uh, let's see here. This week is National Police Officers Week. Yes. And this weekend, Nebraska will recognize that. Absolutely. You know, there's been a lot of ceremonies across the state honoring uh, uh, peace officers mm-hmm. who have passed. Uh, in the line of duty. And then this Saturday, in accordance with the proclamation from the White House, Governor Pete Ricketts has announced that all U.S. and Nebraska flags are to be flown at half-staff on Saturday, May 15th, in recognition of Peace Officers Memorial Day. Flags will be flown at half-staff on Saturday until sunset. The Village of Brady Public Library is having a dedication ceremony this afternoon for their donor, Dolores Gingenbaugh, who gifted $125,000. Library volunteer Sharon Axthelm says the ceremony starts at 4 p.m. at the Brady Community Center. Well, this afternoon we're just going to basically have a gathering. We'll have people come in. We'll have cookies and coffee. We'll do a photo. Hopefully we'll have some kids from our toddler time program be there and some of our people from our book club. Hopefully some people from our adult classes will be there. So I just want Dolores to see how much the community already supports the library and see what her money will be invested in. Axthelm says the money will be used as matching funds to grants that they will apply for to build onto the community center for their new library. State governors joined a virtual news conference yesterday to recognize the success of a program for high-risk youth. The list included Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts, and Kansas Governor Laura Kelly. The news conference was presented by JAG, which is an acronym for Jobs for America's Graduates. Iowa Governor Reynolds, JAG Vice Chair, touted the success of the program. JAG and and IJAG offers one of the most proven solutions during one of the worst education, employment, social, and health crises in our history. Well, the uh, one of the newest members, Nebraska, began its involvement in the program in 2019. Columbus, Fremont, and the Omaha Nation schools were the first to be involved. Governor Pete Ricketts, a JAG board member, is delighted with the 100% graduation rate in participating schools, with an 85% positive outcome rate after graduation. Ricketts says 10 schools in nine communities are now involved. So we've seen great outcomes here in Nebraska with regard to this program in a very short period of time. Governor Reynolds talked about the national track record 
Uh, we've seen the same things here in Nebraska about how it engages these young people. Governor Kelly, another board member, had similar comments. Here in Kansas, JAG is in 78 schools, and the program has achieved a phenomenal 97% graduation rate over the past three years. Governor Kelly says the program helps break down student barriers to success and gives students the tools they need to success to succeed in the workforce and in life in general. AAA Nebraska spokesman Nick Faustman says with better weather and more people getting COVID vaccinations, outdoor activities are picking up and there are more vehicles on the road. Faustman says speeding seems to be prevalent, but he's urging motorists to slow down. Besides, studies show you're not saving a significant amount of time by speeding. Studies actually show that you're not saving a significant amount of time if you choose to speed. For example, the average time saved on a five-mile trip while driving 65 miles per hour on a 45-mile-per-hour posted road is only 1.9 minutes. Keep in mind, speeding is involved in about 13% of all crashes and 33% of all fatal crashes. Faustman says speeding increases the risk of a crash because there is less time and distance for the driver to respond to distractions like other motorists and pedestrians. And in Kansas, wildlife officials say a Wichita doorbell camera captured video of a mountain lion trotting along a residential back alley earlier this week. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. Welcome to this episode of Cruising with Renewable Fuels. Today we're joined on the phone by Kurt Kovarik. He's the Vice President of Federal Affairs with the National Biodiesel Board to discuss policy in the nation's capital. Kurt, thanks so much for being with us today. Yeah, glad to be with you, Alex. So broadly speaking, first of all, tell us about some of the things that you're focusing on right now in Washington, D.C. with uh, biofuels. Sure, Alex, as, as you've seen, uh, the new Biden administration, their top pro- one of their top priorities is uh, addressing climate change and removing carbon from the, from the economy uh, has, has become a kind of a government-wide goal of this administration. So as renewable fuel producers, uh, biodiesel and renewable diesel are uh, anywhere from 65 to 85 percent less carbon emitting than petroleum diesel. You know, our motivation here at the National Biodiesel Board is to ensure that the administration understands uh, what biofuels has to offer, uh, biodiesel specifically, and then to ensure that whatever uh, the government is pursuing includes uh, the benefits of, of homegrown, uh, renewable, uh, less carbon-emitting biodiesel. So whether that's in an infrastructure package, whether that's through uh, uh, tax incentives using the tax code to incentivize new technologies and, and lower carbon fuels, or through existing policies like the renewable fuel standard. We want to ensure that uh, the benefits of biodiesel, both on the and the cleaner air and the, the lower carbon emissions is, is well understood by this administration, appreciated and included in their in their strategy to uh, achieve their goals. So, Kurt, behind all of this, why is it such an important push to advocate for things like, um, you know, biofuels influencing climate change, things with infrastructure? Tell me about the importance of that. Sure. Well, as as the administration pursues uh, a whole of government approach. We've we've seen a lot of their concepts related to uh, electric vehicles, for example, 
And uh, we're here to kind of impress upon them the fact that there, there's a whole segment of the transportation industry that is going to be extremely hard to electrify or decarbonize at all. So uh, imagine city transportation fleets, buses, uh, sanitation, um, construction equipment, uh, heavy-duty trucking. These are all areas that uh, consume an enormous amount of liquid transportation fuel today and probably will in, in 30 to 50 years from now. So rather than, uh, you know, spending billions of dollars to electrify the entire uh, transportation fleet, we, we certainly don't have anything against efforts towards electrification, but our, our message is there are things that you can do today to decarbonize a significant area of, of uh, carbon emissions by using and utilizing homegrown biofuels, biodiesel particularly. So uh, just, just last year, our market was 3 billion gallons, and we've, we're providing that fuel out to uh, state and regional low-carbon uh, policies uh, out on the West Coast, as well as to the New England home heating industry. As you, you may be aware, uh, home heating oil is one of the dirtiest fuels available, and a small blending of biodiesel improves the uh, emissions from that fuel greatly. So there's an enormous demand now for lower carbon fuels to heat homes in New England, and biodiesel is leading the way in that, in that regard. So, Kurt, you're working on the national level to really advocate for the biodiesel industry as a whole. I want to bring this back to Nebraska. So for our soybean producers, obviously, soybeans aren't the only thing that can uh, make biodiesel. But bring this all home for us. Why is this important for soybean producers to be focusing on as well? Great question. So as your, as your soybean farmers in Nebraska know, the soybean is grown for the protein, the high-value protein for, for livestock industry and others. But there's also 20% of that soybean that's uh, vegetable oil. The industry was, was born out of the need, led by soybean farmers, to, to add value to their crop and find a market for that surplus soybean oil. So 25 years ago, uh, the only feedstock was soybean oil. Today, soybean and other vegetable oils are about 50% of our feedstock. The other 50% is things like used cooking oil, uh, waste animal fats, and distillers corn oil. So what does it mean for, for a soybean farmer? Well, the demand for the oil adds about 13% to the value of a bushel of soybeans. So while you may never deliver any soybeans to a biodiesel plant, it's important for a soybean farmer to know that at today's price, it's, it's adding nearly $2 per bushel to the value of that, of that soybean crop. Not to mention if you're invested in an ethanol plant or you, you deliver corn to an ethanol plant, we add value to that product because they take the distiller's corn oil uh, as a byproduct of ethanol, and we, we take that to a biodiesel plant and turn it into uh, biodiesel, as well as animal fats. We're adding value to a livestock producer's animal by adding value to what was a waste and, and landfill product in animal fats. We have folks converting that into biodiesel. So along the entire agriculture chain, the biodiesel industry is adding value to commodities and to livestock. Awesome insight. Thank you for that. Well, Kurt, as we run out this conversation, what else is important to mention that we haven't talked about yet? Well, renewable fuel standard is obviously the, the key statute on the books that's driving uh, the use and production of biofuels. We're hopeful that with this new administration, we'll have, a, have less uncertainty and undermining of the program than we had with the previous administration. Uh, we're working with them to, to help them understand that this is a statute that's on the books 
that can be utilized today to drive additional volumes of, of low-carbon biofuels. I'm hopeful they've send, uh, said the right things, and I'm, and I'm hopeful that we'll see some strong signals out of EPA in terms of higher uh, volumes under the renewable fuel standard here in the coming months. All right. Great information. Kurt Kovarik joining us. He's the vice president of federal affairs with the National Biodiesel Board. Kurt, thanks so much. You bet. Glad to be with you, Alex. And this has been the latest episode of Cruising with Renewable Fuels from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. I'm Alex Wojcicki, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. In the blink of an eye, your graduate went from their first day in kindergarten to their last day of their senior year. And now you have a graduate. 93.1 The River is celebrating our grads and dads on the river with prizes to help your graduates sail into the future. Listen Tuesdays and Thursdays to win a $50 gift card from DeVries Furniture in Arapahoe or Bow and Arrow Boutique in Kearney in North Platte. Don't miss any of the fun as we celebrate our grads on 93.1 The River. Bob Brogan, stocks are broadly lower again on Wall Street as investors' concerns about inflation grew. The S&P 500 index was down eight-tenths of a percent in early trading. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell six-tenths of a percent. And the technology-heavy Nasdaq Composite lost 1.4 percent. Investors reacted negatively to a government report that showed consumer prices rose eight-tenths of a percent in April with inflation rising at the fastest year-over-year rate since 2008. Meanwhile, energy prices continue to climb following the shutdown of a major gas pipeline on the East Coast earlier in the week. A worrisome bout of inflation struck the economy in April, with U.S. consumer prices surging eight-tenths of a percent, the largest monthly jump in more than a decade, and the year-over-year increase reaching its fastest rate since 2008. The acceleration in prices, which has been building for months, has unsettled financial markets and raised concerns that it could weaken the economic recovery from the pandemic recession. State and federal officials are scrambling to find alternate routes to deliver gasoline in the southeast United States after a hack of the nation's largest fuel pipeline led to panic buying that contributed to more than 1,000 gas stations running out of fuel. There is no gasoline shortage But if the pipeline shutdown continues past the weekend, it could create broader fuel disruptions. The Colonial Pipeline, which delivers about 45% of what is consumed on the East Coast, was hit on Friday with a cyber attack. Britain's foreign minister is urging global cooperation to combat cyber attacks by hostile state actors and criminal gangs. He pledged 22 million pounds or $31 million in support to vulnerable countries in Africa and the Indo-Pacific to improve their digital defense capacity. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. If you haven't planted a garden as of yet, don't worry, you still have got time. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I caught up with UNL's extension educator out of North Platte, Brenda Oftenkamp. She has written a recent article about getting your children and the entire family excited about gardening. Yes, you know, and I think that's the whole thing is exciting them. And the younger they are, the less we have to work at that excitement factor. 
So I think really giving them some decision-making power and some ownership of whatever we're going to do in the garden. And that could be flower gardening, herb gardening, or really produce, you know, the fruits and vegetable kind of gardening. But, the, you know, really having a conversation inside before you ever go out to the, to the garden of what would they like to grow. You know, and the younger we get, the more we can bring in our senses and those kind of things to get them excited because they're not going to be able to generate those ideas. But I would remind everybody that even our middle school and our high school students can be given ownership. And even if it's not what we really wanted, let them go with it so that they can be vested in that gardening activity as a family. So let's start with the younger ones. You talk about the gardening and the senses. What are some things that we can teach them about what we're going to be putting in the ground? Well, I think that's where when you go to visit your garden centers, whatever it is, you know, whether it's the superstore or whether it's a true um, greenhouse kind of center, take those younger ones and really use those senses, the, the sense of taste, the sense of um, touch, sight, smell, all of those things, and, and getting them engaged in there. You know, and I always think this time of year to do the younger youth and use herbs where they can actually smell them and then they can rub them on their fingers and really get a good sensation but then also carrying that over to what we're doing at the table and in the kitchen to how those things are really adding um, some great flavor power, um, you know, senses in, in the kitchen. And I think what a neat way to introduce them to new vegetables that they might not have ever thought about trying, but can now to say, hey, I grew these, let's try them. Yeah, you know, and that's where this time of year is really tough. But if you can start talking about what are those vegetables that grow above ground and for the younger ones, they see everything above ground. You know, you're putting the seed in the ground. And so then keep on continually having that conversation so they understand, yeah, carrots are growing above ground as well as below ground, radishes, turnips, all of those things, but we're going to produce it underground. And I know I'm just creating a hands-on activity going into some preschools where they get to see on my posters the plant is growing above ground, but the part we're going to eat is below ground. And the other thing that I'll add to that is, Remember that um, a lot of the things that grow underground is what we constantly think about, carrots, turnips, radishes, but a lot of the greens above ground could be washed and utilized in salads and as garnishes as well. So then, let Brenda, how do we get those middle school, high school kids to get excited about, first of all, being outdoors, and, and second of all, being involved in, in planting a garden? Well, we got to remember that they're more than just our workhorses, and, and as a mother, I'm there too. They could be weeding and, and doing some of the physical work, you know, but trying to really get them to think about what would you like to grow, what would you like to see, maybe a couple different varieties of tomatoes so they can see the difference between a juicy tomato and a meaty tomato, and why is there different varieties, you know, different colors of carrots. We have the different colors of turnips, all of those things, and so there again, it means allowing them to do maybe a little bit of internet searching to learn a little bit about those things and then seeking out the seeds or seeking out those bedding plants but giving them complete ownership in making those decisions that's brenda often camp excitement about gardening i'm susan littlefield on the rural radio network Playpan on the Rural Radio Network as we check in with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing, Chicago Publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, a big day, a lot of buildup, a lot of anticipation coming into it, albeit once the report dropped, we didn't really change direction all that much. Soybeans into the grain, corn and wheat ending lower on the day. However, did we really break through any levels where we created technical damage or was this kind of just taking it back out waiting to see what USDA had to say? 
Yeah, it was kind of a weird report. I think everybody and their brother was like, wow, they're not going to change acreage in this one. And then they didn't change acreage, and they dropped demand a little bit in new crop, and all of a sudden now the trade's like, well, it looks a little bit, you know, you start penciling in one eight, you know, one nine carryovers next year with a record crop and increased acreage. And I agree. I mean, if we can grow the maximum amount of acres with the maximum amount of yield, we'll probably be able to grow ourselves out of this problem. I mean, that that is a solution here in corn. But in the short, short term, we have to grow it. And you look at where the old crop prices are, the new crop is just not going to fall too much. Now, there's another market, wheat. I think wheat is one that I, I'd be a little concerned about just in the short, short term, um, you know, maybe dragging that July contract a little lower in corn. But all in all, the report didn't tell us anything we didn't know. Um, and you and I will continue to point towards a change at some point in the future. Um, but we're trading weather, and it's, uh, you know, that, that's, that's not going to change even if the USDA says one thing or the other. I say, is USDA behind the curve? Granted, they finally got on board and they dropped uh, Brazilian corn production down to 102 million metric tons, but they leave Argentina unchanged at 47 million. Yeah, I mean, Argentina, honestly, they don't even matter. The numbers now out of Brazil and corn just dominate that world number much, much more. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to talk about the USDA in negative light, they do what they do. I think the, the key is you look at where the markets are globally. Um, you know, in the case of, of corn, like, you know, everything's pretty much trading globally where we are right now as far as cash prices go. So, you know, as far as changes to that price structure, we need more supply. And we're not going to have any more supply for a while. So, um, you know, the optimism can bring us down, you know, easily back into the mid-fives, uh, maybe even a little bit lower. But I, I just know enough end users who are short bought here that are going to be in, in the market aggressively because they've learned their lesson here. I think that there, there have been some real psychological damage with, with the price action we've seen uh, over the last six, six to 12 months. That is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. You can learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. Again, danielzagmarketing.com, where you can sign up for John's daily newsletter This Week in Grain. Do remember, trading futures and options involve risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. Catch John one more time as a podcast, RuralRadioNetwork.com. Thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up this Wednesday edition of Midday. Don't forget to check out our Midday podcast sponsored by Benny Motors, wherever podcasts are available or krbn.com.